0: Hello, humans. Welcome to the series on the armor of God. Now, according to Amos 515, as children of God, we are called to hate evil, love good, and establish justice. In fact, Psalm 9710 says, Hate evil, you who love the Lord. And Proverbs 813 says that The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Essentially, as Christians, we are in a war against evil. And because we are in this war, well, we should always be ready for battle wearing the full armor of God. No soldier goes out onto the battlefield without first putting on his or her armor, right? It is for this reason. We are instructed to put on the full armor of God. Now, though Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus as an apostle to disciples who were under him... Think of it as a general in the army writing to the soldiers under his command. So when Paul wrote his letter there, uh, he had been in prison. So when you hear what I'm about to read, think of it as a general uh, who managed to sneak a letter of command and encouragement out to his soldiers so that they do not lose heart in the war. So... The armor of God comes from Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20. I'm going to read it all, and then we're going to start this off. So, starting at verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak." So, now in verse 10, we are commanded to be strong in the Lord. Listen, God gave the Israelites a similar charge before they engaged in battle with the inhabitants of the promised land. We see this in Deuteronomy and also in Joshua. However, Paul wanted us to distinguish between demons and doctrine, sin and sinners, problems and people humans are not the enemies rather hostile supernatural entities are the enemies the devil and all demons are the enemies Our fellow humans are victims of Satan's lies And they are in need of being saved because the devil prowls around like a lion seeking to devour steal kill and destroy the enemy fights with lies and sometimes his lies sound like truth, but they are lies because there is no truth in him. He is the father of lies, as Jesus pointed out in John 8, 44. Paul instructed us to put on the full armor of God so that we can resist the devil's schemes. Now, that phrase, full armor, is the English translation of the Greek word panaplia. And it means every weapon, a complete set of armor. Now, this image depicts a Roman soldier who is fully outfitted in his armor from head to toe. Also, while Paul talks about the devil's schemes, uh, his use of the Greek word methodiah suggests that the, the devil is cunning and he uses deception to advance his evil purposes, just like he did when he deceived Eve in the garden. Uh, Satan is, after all, the master manipulator. For this reason, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says, no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. But because of Christ's victory over all the evil powers, believers have courage and strength to resist the devil and his demons. It says that all throughout, Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, even James says it, Well, you draw near to him, God will draw near to you. The devil will flee. You have the strength to resist the devil and his demons. Now it's important to take notice that we are instructed to be strong in the Lord and to put on the armor of God. Now that phrase, of God, is taken from the Greek phrase, toul, which is a definite article, and theos, which means God. And it's written in the genitive case look simply put this means our supernatural and spiritual armor comes directly from god almighty the lord himself is the source of origin for our armor and because this armor comes from god it is vital for us to remain in relationship with the lord in order for us to continually enjoy the benefits of our spiritual armor just like any of our appliances, if we unplug from the source of power, the appliance will no longer work as it is designed, right? Likewise, if we unplug from the source of power, the power no longer empowers us. Do not disengage in fellowship with the Lord. Psalm 25, 4-5 says, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation for you I wait all the day it is interesting to note that within the full armor God has given us three offensive weapons three defensive weapons and one neutral weapon now as I will later explain in this series The breastplate, the shield, and the helmet, these are all defensive weapons. The three offensive weapons are the shoes, the sword, and prayer. The neutral weapon, however, is the belt of truth. And the belt of truth is what we are going to focus on today in this series. In Ephesians 6.14, the first item that Paul instructs us to put on is the belt of truth. Now, what is the purpose of the belt? Well, in our present time, right, the belt is to prevent our pants from falling down. However, in ancient Roman times, when Paul wrote to his intended audience, the belt around a soldier's waist, it held the breastplate in place, it provided a resting place for the shield, and it provided an attachment for the sword. Without truth, there is no protection of the heart, nor can anyone possess the defense or weapon necessary to overcome the adversary, which are the shield and the sword. The belt of truth is central and essential. Without it, it's easy to fall apart. The belt of truth literally holds everything together. So, what is truth? In John 18, 37-38, it is written. Therefore, Pilate said to Jesus, So you are a king? And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him how can we wear the belt of truth if we do not know the answer to Pilate's question what is truth it was the great subject of inquiry in all the schools of the Greeks different sects of the philosophers they held different opinions however Pilate did not ask the question in order to receive an answer even though Pilate asked the question, he never pursued the answer. Instead, he walked outside to the crowd. For Pilate, truth was relative. To, uh, to, to many government officials, actually, in ancient Roman times, truth was whatever the majority of the people agreed with or whatever helped advance their own personal power and political goals. When there is no standard or acknowledgement of absolute truth, There is no basis for moral right and wrong. Justice becomes whatever works or whatever helps those in power. In essence, relative truth is the whatever floats your boat and whatever helps me mentality. However, truth can be known and because of this, we know that truth is absolute and never relative. We also know that moral relativism is absolutely absurd. There does exist right and wrong. Now, for truth, when I had been an atheist, my starting point was the famous formulation, cogito ergo sum I think, therefore I am, or I exist. Rene Descartes. He denied what he could, but he ultimately could not deny the truth that he existed. Well, I also know that I exist, but why do I exist? I did not will myself into existence. I did not choose to exist, yet I do. I did not choose the body my soul seems to be confined within. So what shall I do with this knowledge of existence? Is it enough to merely exist, or must there be a reason for my existence? The very existence of life leads to questions about life, of which answers are demanded by those people who possess life. But who or what can provide these answers about life? And even if we receive answers, how do we know if the answers are correct? For answers to be correct, they must be true. But again, what is truth? Is truth absolute or relative? Can truth even be obtained? Is truth important? Why is truth important? If it is important, is truth knowable? Demosthenes, he existed around BC 384 to 322. It is recorded that he had said, nothing is so easy as to deceive oneself for what we wish we readily believe. So in other words, people believe what they want to be true. Jonathan Swift, a Christian, he existed in about AD sixteen sixty-seven to seventeen forty-five. It is recorded that he had said, But when a man's fancy gets astride on his reason, when imagination is at cuffs with the senses and common understanding as well as common sense is kicked out of doors, the first proselyte he makes is himself so in essence both of those men said that people often convince themselves that something is true because they desire it to be true now questioning the evidence against a belief is one thing but when this reluctance to admit to making a bad investment into a belief rises to the level of denying or refusing to heed the evidence then what we have is not critical thinking. It's wishful thinking. Many people are reluctant to release lies and false beliefs because of the amount of time and energy that they invested into them. Their investment intertwined into their identity. How many lies has the common person accepted and integrated into his or her life? How much time was invested into those lies? Now, I know that when I had been an atheist, I convinced myself that certain things were true or right simply because I wanted them to be true or right so that I could be happy and fulfill my own desires. But are we on a pursuit for happiness or a quest for truth? For our armor to be complete... We need the belt of truth, not the belt of happiness. To understand why we exist, we must journey on a quest for truth. For only in truth can understanding about the knowledge of existence be known. But again, what is truth? Well, truth can be understood both from what it is and also from what it is not. So first, let's examine what truth is not. Truth is not what works. Okay, something that works produces the right results. It doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Even when the results are in, okay, one can still ask whether the initial statement corresponded to the facts. If it did not, it was not true regardless of the results. Truth is not that which coheres a set of false statements can be internally consistent right if several witnesses conspire to misrepresent the facts well their story may cohere better than if they were honestly trying to reconstruct the truth it is still a lie even if everyone lies it would still be a lie and it is for this reason paul said in romans 3 3 to 4 what then if some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written." And then he quotes Psalm 51:4: "...that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged." At best, coherence is a negative test of truth. Statements are wrong, if they are inconsistent, sure, but not necessarily true if they are consistent. If everyone is doing wrong consistently, that does not make it right. If everyone believes the lie, that does not transform the lie into a truth. Truth is not that which was intended. Like If something is true because someone intended it to be true, well then all sincere statements ever uttered are true, even those that are patently absurd. Sincere people are often sincerely wrong. People can possess good intentions, yet still travel in the wrong direction. Truth is not what is existentially relevant. Okay, what is true will be relevant, but not everything relevant is true. Look, uh, a pen, right? A pen will be relevant, Uh To an atheist writer, but does that make it true that God doesn't exist just because an atheist writes that claim? A gun is relevant to a murderer, but this does not make the former true nor the latter good. Truth is not what feels good. Now, while it might be true, That a drug addict feels good while using heroin, it does not mean that it is true that heroin is good for the body. And truth may not be convenient. (laughs) It is evident that bad news can be true, okay? When I was informed that the girl I had planned to marry was declared deceased upon my arrival at the scene, I did not want to believe it was true. But bad news can be true. If what feels good is always true, then we would not have to believe anything unpleasant. Truth is not necessarily the consensus. It is not determined by majority vote. And finally, truth cannot be relative. Let's let's examine what truth is. Truth is correspondence with objective reality. If it lacks proper correspondence, it is false. So, look... The claim, truth does not correspond with what is, well, that implies that this view corresponds to reality. Then the the non-correspondence view cannot express itself without using a correspondence frame of reference. That's why truth is correspondence with objective reality. The mind conforms to reality. It is not that reality conforms to the mind. All truth is absolute. There are no relative truths. The relativist who thinks that relativism is true for everyone is an absolutist. If something is true for all people, it's an absolute truth. Look, the the, the dilemma is this. A consistent relativist cannot say, well, it is an absolute truth for everyone that truth is only relatively true. No. Nor can the person say, it is only relatively true that relativism is true. No, if it is only relatively true, then relativism may be false for some or all others. Then why should I accept it as true? The relativist stands on a pinnacle of an absolute truth and then wants to relativize everything else. If truth were relative, well, true for you, but false for me, no, then it. it an impossible would be actual, okay? For example, for if I say, there is apple juice in the refrigerator, and then you say, there is not any apple juice in the refrigerator, and we are both right, well then there must both be and not be apple juice in the refrigerator at the same time and in the same sense, but that is impossible. Even if one of the two saw a hallucination, Well, it would be true that the person saw apple juice, but it would be a false claim because hallucinated apple juice is not real apple juice that corresponds with objective reality. If truth is relative, then no one is ever wrong, even when they are. The truth is that absolutes are inescapable. It is objected, okay, that truth cannot be absolute since we do not have an absolute knowledge of truths. Listen, even most absolutists admit that most things are known only in terms of degrees of probability, plausibility. Well, okay, how then can all truth be absolute? Okay, well take for example the old belief that the world was flat. Now at the time that the old belief was accepted as truth, the truth was that the world was round. Well, truth never changes. Humans do not ever alter truth by their beliefs. For while truth is absolute, our understanding of absolute truth is not absolute. Truth can be absolute no matter what our grounds for believing it. There is never a new truth created, rather it is only a matter of us discovering the ancient truth for what it truly was and is. Truth is. Truth does not change, rather our perceptions of truth and understandings of truth changes. So when science truly progresses, it does not move from an old truth to a new truth. Rather, it moves from error to truth. So back in 2020, when I had told everyone that the mandatory vaccines, uh, they were, and the face masks, that they were harmful rather than helpful, It was still true even though the majority told me i was wrong truth is absolute truth is narrow but it is correct that's the way truth is and each truth claim excludes contradictory truth claims so for example three plus four equals seven absolutely three plus four is not 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, or any other number. 3 plus 4 equals 7, and only 7. Okay, but then someone can assert, well, 5 plus 2 also equals 7. And therefore, that person can reach the same truth by different means. And by the way, this is why different beliefs and religions exist. Okay, however, the person would be neglecting to recognize that the absolute truth never changed. The truth is seven and only seven. Okay, likewise, regardless of the equation of life, right? So, the absolute truth is narrow and exact. So, whether the equation of life looks like maybe three, you were raised by bad parents, plus four, you received a decent education, equals seven, Jesus, or... Maybe five, I was raised by better parents, plus two, I received no education, equals seven, Jesus. The absolute truth remains the same. (laughs) And by the way, math is not racist, as they claim. That is a truth that has been and will always be. Speaking of educators, many university professors Okay, They often used a parable of, of the six blind men in an attempt to prove that all religions could be false and that no religion is the truth. Now, in this parable, each blind man feels a different part of the elephant and therefore reaches a different conclusion about the object in front of him. So, one grabs the tusk and says, wow, this is a spear. But another feels the trunk and says, "Ah, No, this is a snake. But the one hugging the leg claims, What are you talking about? This is a tree. And the one holding the tail says, Y'all are crazy. This is a rope. And the one feeling the ear says, This is a fan. And the one leaning on the elephant's side says, I don't know what y'all are talking about. This is a wall. So these blind men are said to represent world religions because they they each come to a different conclusion about what they are sensing. Like each blind man, we are told, No one religion has the truth. Truth is relative to the individual. Well, now this might sound persuasive at first, but in the cross-examination, we discover the truth. Proverbs 18.17 says, The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. So in the cross-examination, we must ask, well, what's the perspective of the one telling the parable? How does the one telling the parable know that the blind men are feeling an elephant? In fact, the one telling the parable has the objective perspective And would not know that the blind men were in error unless he had an objective perspective of what is true. Now in this parable, the absolute truth is the elephant. Regardless of their individual claims, the truth is that they were feeling an elephant. A critic once wrote to me and he said, Well, okay, so what what you think is right and what I think is right. But is that true? Now, there are instances when this may be true, okay, like such as in a conversation where person one looks at a banana and says, it's yellow, it looks delicious, I'm hungry, and so I'm going to eat it. And then person two, looking at the yellow pencil next to the banana, says, "Uh, it is yellow, uh, but... It's, uh, it does not look delicious, and no matter how hungry you are, no one should eat that. So in that scenario, both person 1 and person 2 can be right. However, in an argument concerning the same specific issue, someone would be wrong. So if person 1 looked at a real banana and said, This banana is fruit. Well, that person would be right. If person two looked at the same exact banana and said, this banana is a pencil, well, that person would be wrong. So all truths are absolute, even truths that appear to be relative. So for example, if I wrote in my journal, I, Trenton, feel warm on December 25th, 2015. That may appear to be a relative truth, but it is actually absolutely true for everyone everywhere that Trenton had the sensation of warmth on that day. Contrary beliefs are possible, but contrary truths are not possible. Consider another example. Okay, let's say that person one sees, it goes to the beach, right? Person, he's at the beach, person one sees what appears to be the number six written in the sand on the beach. But then person two approaches from the opposite side and sees what appears to be the number nine, right? Because if you flip the six and the nine, it could be a six or a nine. Person one proclaims, it's a six. But then person two proclaims, no, it's a nine. Well, person one states, what you think is right and what I think is right, we're both right. It's all about perspective. However, this is illogical. Truth is absolute and never relative. There are only three possible outcomes for this scenario. One, person one is right and person two is wrong. Two, person two is right, person one is wrong. Three, both person one and two are wrong. Now in this example, let's say person three approaches person one and two and says to them, just so you know, Text without context is pretext. Examine the evidence. Now clearly there is a 5 written before and a 7 written after. Thus it's not a 9 but a 6. Context matters. And listen, even if there was no 5 or 7 to help us with the context, it would still either be a 6 or a 9. It would not be both. Whoever wrote it, wrote it for a reason, with a purpose, intended purpose. Truth is knowable. We do know certain things about reality. Now, if it is true that in certain cases we do have knowledge, then it must be the case that we can, in fact, know truth. And the field of philosophy that deals with how we know is called epistemology. Essentially, it is the study of knowledge we know many things without being able to prove that we do or without fully understanding them even the skeptic okay even the skeptic who claims that we cannot have knowledge assumes he or she knows we cannot have knowledge believing we really do have knowledge is inevitable now aristotle many other philosophers they argued uh how evidence relies on first principles First principles are the foundations because they are self-evident. So there exists a reality that is independent of the human mind to which the mind can either conform or fail to conform. Aristotle considered the law of non-contradiction to be foundational for all other knowledge. And I agree. The mind is predisposed to truth. (laughs) There was a, uh, in philosophy, a guy named Avicenna, He suggested that those who deny a first principle should be beaten or exposed to fire until they concede that to burn and not to burn or to be beaten and not to be beaten are not identical. (laughs) Now, someone might claim that there is no truth that corresponds to reality, but to that person, all you have to ask is, is that true? So what is truth? God is truth. Jesus is God. Let me unpack this. In Jesus and his word, we have the standard for truth and for our moral behavior. Jesus is not a liar or a lunatic because he proved himself to be Lord. Christ is our compass. The Savior is the source and the standard. John 14 6 Jesus said I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father but through me Jesus is the way because he is both fully God and fully human when Jesus was conceived God became a man however Jesus was not half and half as if a diluted deity he was completely human and also completely divine. Colossians 2 9 says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus is the way because Jesus is truth. By uniting our lives with him, we are united with God. The Word is truth. 2 Timothy 3 16 17, it says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. John eight thirty one 31-32 says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Psalm 119, 160 says, The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. The sum of your word is truth. Well, Jesus is the word. In John 1, Verses 1 to 4 and verse 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then in verse 14 it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, it is important to point out that there are two kinds of words from God. So we have Lagos, which is the written word, because it is the word that has already been spoken or communicated. And we have rhema, which is a a spoken word, an utterance, or a divine revelation referring to individual scripture which the Spirit brings to our remembrance for use in time of need. Now, the word, the word, the Greek word logos, it was a term used by theologians and philosophers, both Jews and Greeks. Many different ways they used this. In Hebrew scripture, the word was an agent of creation, the source of God's message to his people through prophets and God's law, his standard of holiness. In Greek philosophy, the word was the reason behind everything, the the principle of reason that governed the world or the thought still in the mind. In Hebrew thought, The Word was another expression for God. Jesus, therefore, is the creator of the universe and all life, the ultimate revelation of God, the living picture of God's holiness, the one who holds all creation together and in whose image we were created. The Word became human. In John 1.14, when Scripture tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, it literally means that God tabernacled in flesh as in Jesus' body was the tent where God dwelled. Now, as is evident in the book of Exodus, the tabernacle was God's home on earth. But this home, it was only a temporary tent, which foreshadowed The more permanent temple, the building, which foreshadowed the more personal temple, the body, which foreshadows the personal and permanent presence of our immortal resurrected bodies that will dwell with God's presence for eternity, the glorified state. God started out small, with one tent, expanded to a more permanent building, And then dwelled in the body of Jesus which was not made by human hands but only by the power of God and because God tabernacled in flesh Jesus became uh, the perfect teacher in Jesus's life we see how God thinks and therefore how we should think Jesus became the perfect example As a model of who we are to become, He shows us how to live and gives us the power to live that way. And Jesus became the perfect sacrifice. Jesus came as a sacrifice for all sins and His death satisfied God's requirements for the removal of sin. But no longer do people have to travel to one specific place to seek God's presence. Jesus promised us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within all children of God. And today just happens to be Pentecost, by the way. All Christians have the Holy Spirit living within them. Jesus is the Word, and the Word is eternal truth. The Lord never changes. Truth never changes. Truth is always timely. It is always applicable today and still applies in the future. And because it is connected with God's changeless character, it is also changeless. Now think about it. How many centuries have passed since the Word existed? Just consider the countless hours that have been spent carefully studying, investigating every sentence, every word of scripture, every jot and tittle. The Bible has withstood the test of time And is reliable and accurate. God is Spirit. Spirit is truth. Jesus is truth. Therefore Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son. However, He and the Father are one. Jesus has always existed from the beginning. Jesus was one person of two natures, always in relationship with the Spirit. This is the doctrine of the Trinity. And because God is truth and the word of God's truth, you can trust the inspired word to guide you. In fact, Paul declares that this belt of truth is so powerful and so crucial, it can take the average individual and cause him or her to be complete and equipped for every good work. Now that word equipped, when he used that word or or furnished in some translations, is the English translation of the Greek word exartizo. It means to completely outfit or to fully supply. It was used to depict wagons or ships that were fully outfitted with gear, completely ready for the journey. The loin belt covered the Romans' Uh, the, the roman soldier's loins right it's called a loin belt now one of the obvious reasons for this was because he wanted to protect his ability to reproduce likewise the belt of truth shows us that our ability to produce for god is directly correlated with our relationship with the word of god we will become spiritually sterile if we do not have God's word actively operating centrally in our lives. When a person first gets saved, listen to what is written in scripture. It is written in 1 John 3, 9-10, to that God's seed abides in him or her. And because of God's seed within that person, he or she will produce a life of righteousness. Now that word seed is the English translation of the Greek word sperma meaning seed that is sown. It's, if you haven't guessed by now, it's where we derive our word sperm, sperma, sperm. Once God's seed is sown within us, that divine seed then immediately begins to produce the life and character of Jesus within us. This divine seed is the reason we cannot go on living the way that we once did before we encountered the Lord. The the life, character, nature, and attributes of God are in that seed. Consequently, the Holy Father passes a holy DNA to us in a way similar to a father's DNA passes on to a son or daughter. And for this reason, we are new creations in Christ. And unlike all other perishable seeds, the sperma from God is imperishable, incorruptible, as Peter wrote. So, what about some life application? How do we apply this to our lives? Psalm 86, says, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Listen, it is not enough To merely know the truth, demons know the truth. That's what James said. We must live the truth out in our lives. Knowing the truth should launch us into action. It is not enough to merely recognize the belt of truth as being the belt of truth. No, we must put it on and know how to use it. Look, Batman can stare at his utility belt and recognize it as his own, right? But if he never puts it on, it will never help him while he battles against evil villains. A belt of truth that is merely on display will not help anyone in any way. (laughs) There's there's my little Dr. Seuss snippet of the day. God is spirit. Spirit is truth. Jesus is truth truth. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is truth. Therefore, the belt of truth is the Word of God. This belt of truth holds the breastplate in place. Jesus holds everything together. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Wisdom begins with knowing God. The Lord gives insight into living because He created life. To know God, you must not merely know the facts about Him. You must have a personal relationship with Him. But how can you know the author of truth unless you know God's Word? God has delivered a long love letter to us known as the bible but have you read it do you understand it do you apply it to your life do you possess god's word within you again a belt of truth that is merely on display will not help anyone in any way likewise a bible that is merely on display it will not help anyone in any way you must not only possess the belt of truth you must also put it on and use it likewise You must not only possess God's Word, it needs to be in you. You must also use it. The Bible is not a coaster for your drinks. It is not a decorative piece of your book collection that collects dust while sitting unused on a shelf. Sure, it can sit on a shelf as long as you're using it. Unused? Disrespect. How can you use your utility belt of truth if you don't know what's in it? And even if you know what's in it, it won't help you unless you actually apply it to your life. Think of the belt of truth like Batman's utility belt. When we put on the belt of truth, we are able to combat the lies of the enemy. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5, it is written, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Listen, and for this reason, apologetics is important. Now, that word apologetics, it it derives from the Greek word apologia, which means to provide an answer, to give a defense, to give a, a cogent explanation for one's beliefs or reasoning. So essentially, it is the ability to explain why we believe what we believe. Apologetics is important because, well, we're all apologists anyway. But it strengthens believers, and it helps believers fulfill the great commission which we are all commanded to do. But most importantly, Bible study is imperative in our walk with the Lord. I mean, come on, have you ever been asked difficult questions about the Bible that you were not prepared to answer? If you don't know, why should you expect an unbeliever to believe you? In 1 Peter 3, 15-16, Peter says it this way. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Now, as Peter indicates, all Christians are called to be ready with answers to explain or defend the faith. And the best way to identify a lie is to know the truth. That's how counterfeits are identified. That's how they identify counterfeits, right? We must know the truth in order to identify the lie. So I saw a pastor once teach his congregation, and he said, this is what he said, He said, the biggest lie you are ever told is that if it does not line up with scripture, it's not from God. That is the biggest lie you've ever been told. Because if something is a secret, that means it's not in here. Look, what that man was claiming was that God was telling him secrets that are not found in the Bible. Okay. And so I responded, if someone receives a revelation it might not be in scripture as you were given that revelation but that is only a half truth the revelation however must still be in alignment with the word of god if you share with me a secret and it contradicts scripture well not only would it no longer be a secret but it would be a revealed lie Now you might be able to fool a fool with satanic secrets, but a child of God has the Holy Spirit within who calls to remembrance the truth of his word. And with the truth, we tear down strongholds. We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So go ahead, put me to the test with your half truth and then I'll expose your whole lie. And so when we know the truth, we must follow the example of Jesus To the best of our ability, to be full of both grace and truth. And as Paul says, speaking truth out from love. Jesus said, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But you need to understand something. Speaking truth out from love, you can do this both with grace and truth. Speaking truth out from love And that does not mean that you have to approve of what people do, or tolerate evil. That should go without saying. So, reflection. So ask yourself, Do you know what is in your utility belt of truth? Is the truth within you? Is the belt of truth central and essential in your life? Is your utility belt of truth holding you together? Are you able to identify lies because you know the truth? All Christians are confident in the truth. Consequently, they are prepared to identify and expose lies and respond according to what is written. If you believe that truth is absolute and the absolute truth is the Savior's word and you know the word and you're able to both share the word and make a defense for the word then you're wearing the belt of truth and the belt of truth is first and foremost because it is essential holding everything else in place so what is in your belt of truth do you know how to select and how to use what you select to use